The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. If you think at all like I do, you might wake up in the morning and wonder, are our people representing us in the best way possible? You might wonder, am I the best person to continue leading this team as we move along our current growth path? And you might think, what skills do we need to keep making it happen? To answer those questions, Allison Shapira. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Well, these are, uh, these are questions that every single executive has to think about because they start, you know, in many cases with a small company and now they got a big one and sometimes companies outgrow them for sure. Maybe, you know, maybe they continue learning, maybe they don't. So tell us, what do you see and kind of what it put, help us put our finger on the problem. It's such a great series of questions, Joel, because these are questions that I'm hearing from my clients, whether I'm working with them at the executive level or working with their teams. The idea is how we communicate has a direct impact on our success as leaders and on the success of our companies. So how are we communicating in a way that builds trust either with our clients or with our team as the team grows and and we lose track of all the people who are part of that team. So the more the the more people we bring in to manage others on our team do we have our fingers on the pulse of every employee from leadership to individual contributor and how are they representing our company? So all really great questions to be asking that I hear a lot of people I work with ask. So how, how do companies as they get larger control uh, what people say and do? Because every single action that they take, every interaction they have with the general public reflects on the company. How do they create a culture that instills people to be smart in, in a world where people go on Facebook, they can go on, they can complain. Uh, people don't keep ideas to themselves anymore. So how, how are companies doing this sort of thing? That's right. And, and the, the line between personal and professional has blurred. 
So even if you say something in your personal capacity, by virtue of on LinkedIn, it says where you work, your company is now responsible for what you say as well. So it's certainly a challenge that companies deal with in different ways. As they get larger and they bring on communication officers or departments, there's that balance between coming up with our corporate messaging, and it doesn't have to be corporate. As an organization, what language do we use? How do we communicate our values? What do we use? What phrases do we use? So we create either talking points or guidelines, but then at the same time, how do we empower our employees at all levels to take those bullet points, those talking points, and then make them their own so that we don't sound like we're all reading from a script. This is like when you call someone for help with with a device and they say, thank you for calling. I can imagine you must be very frustrated. Reading from a script is not what helps us build trust. It's taking a human element and adding empathy to our own language that helps us build trust. And so it's balancing the corporate messaging with the personal communication style. You know, interestingly enough, I, uh, I was just listening this weekend to a podcast about the implosion of Enron. It's already it's 20 years ago already that that happened, but uh, the Wall Street Journal has released this new podcast. And uh, when, when, the, uh, when all the people were starting to investigate Jeff Skilling, who was the CEO at that time, uh, and they said... Um, they, they, the PR firm or whoever, the legal department, whoever it was, gave him a set of talking points and he just went off the script. He didn't want to do it. And so he was talking to a journalist from the Wall Street Journal who kind of inferred some stuff was wrong based on him going off the script. So how do you keep people, you know, to feel kind of sincere, like they can own the script and kind of bend the script without going off the script? Because look what look what happened by what he did. I mean, it turned out to be a mess. What you're alluding to is the fact that when we go off script, we say something we didn't intend to say, and then that becomes reported as our message. And certainly the larger our company gets, the the greater the potential for something like that to disrupt our company's reputation and clients and stock price when we get when we get larger as a company so the really the the element here is making sure that you control the script so let's say your your team gets a script or let's say that the let, let's speak from the executive's perspective the executive has an important interview coming up someone on their team hands them bullet points, it's up to the executive to go through that language in advance and make it their own. Then they can stick to the script, but it's more authentic because they helped create the script. They added they added anecdotes, they added stories, personal quotes or examples that took the talking points and made them come alive. And that's what I recommend, especially in these high stakes encounters, when what we say has the potential to really either elevate or completely undermine our message. How do companies, when they have 50 or 100 or hundreds of people, how do they control what, you know, what people say. I mean, you, you can control the script that you write, but you can't control the words that people use when they're, when they're kind of like saying the script. I mean, how do companies do that? Like what kinds of things do they say to their, their teams that help them to say the right thing and people don't just editorialize and make it their own too much? 
You know, it's it's a common challenge that companies face as they grow. You cannot completely control what everyone says without micromanaging the company. And it, it actually reminds me of an article that I read years ago about Blue Man Group. The, the the theatrical production when they they scaled from three people painting themselves blue, doing this by themselves, to scaling to multiple productions concurrently, where now all of a sudden hundreds of people are painting themselves blue. And you can't script every Blue Man Group interaction. That's part of the beauty of it. So they created not a how-to manual, but a why-to manual. Because if you can get everyone in alignment on why we're doing this, what our overall goals are, then they'll come up with the what in their own way under the framework of why. And, and that's, that's an article that still impacts me probably 20 years after I read it and is a great blueprint for companies as they scale. I'll tell you what I like about it is that for people who are less robotic, uh, a, lot, a lot of large companies, people become soldiers. They do what they're told. But a lot of smaller companies, a lot of middle-sized companies, uh, you know, the employees are, are, are a little more entrepreneurial. They like to have a little bit more freedom. And, and I think that if they understand why, I, I think all people in general, if you understand why, uh, you kind of feel like you're part of the solution. So I, I, I kind of like that. I, I like the idea of doing that. Um, what uh, what are some of the big uh, big other problems besides controlling the script? What are some other big problems that companies have uh, that that from a leadership or from a communications point of view you've seen them struggle with? A lot of times, I'll see an executive struggle with how how open or vulnerable can I be with my company if I'm unsure about what's going on. And we saw this recently in terms of of the pandemic, but it's not. It's not tied to a recent global event. It's tied to something that as companies, we're always weathering challenges and uncertainties. And, and I actually created a, a new module called Communicating Through Uncertainty. It was prompted by a world event. But again, it's a common occurrence. And it's around how do we figure out how to communicate uncertainty and a lack of information to our team members, to our associates, without undermining their trust in us. And the point that I make is we can't pretend everything is under control. We can't pretend everything is fine when our employees know that something is not fine. So being able to message that uncertainty along with what we're doing to take action. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that we are doing every single thing at our disposal to address this, and we will keep you informed every step of the way and bring you into that decision-making process. And it's that kind of transparency, not necessarily of information, but of process that I believe can help a company maintain the trust of all of its employees or customers and partners during a chaotic time. There must be a fine line, though, between um, everything is under control and, you know, I'm, I'm totally feeling out of control. And, and I think a lot of executives have a really hard time of, about being vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've become a little more vulnerable over time. And, and, and I think it's kind of worked for me. I mean, it's kind of I'm kind of getting good feedback about it. I'm kind of I'm happy I'm doing it. But I, I think that many executives kind of feel this need to just be really tough. And, I, and I've noticed this, especially with women, they kind of put on a facade to be extra tough, to compete with men. 
and and that you know, but it's not necessarily authentic. So, how does somebody kind of know how to balance, uh, you know, how to be authentic and be a little vulnerable and to be real? And, and I mean, how does that happen? And and that's not meant to. Uh, you know, point out women or anybody else. I, I just, but I notice it as a man, I notice it happen a, a lot. So I just kind of wonder. It's an interesting point to raise that balance between authenticity and, and what you perceive or what your audience perceives as necessary in a given situation. So w- when we take the example of women, for instance, and, and a number of my programs are for women in business, in leadership. And the challenge that they face is that what what society has traditionally said is the quality of a leader has traditionally been a male, stereotypical male quality, stereotypical qualities. And then qualities we ascribe to women are stereotypical female qualities that, that can be counter to what we think of as an acceptable leader. And and that mismatch of stereotypes is a challenge that women or anyone who's different in a company encounters. And so in my experience, I, I do believe everyone can share a certain degree of vulnerability for some whether it's women, it, sometimes it costs them more for sharing that because if if a man shares a, a lack of certainty, no one it, it less it doesn't undermine his confidence as a leader, his perceived confidence. But sometimes if a woman will share that lack of confidence in the same language, it seems to reinforce our stereotype of women, and then it costs her more in her workplace relationships. So that's the challenge. And it's very nuanced. And it's not one size fits all, because there are many women who are who have this this strength to them that you wouldn't think would be feminine. Um, And and yet again, it's about stereotypes and expectations others have of everyone, regardless of of gender or, or anything else. So the challenge becomes, how do we bring our most authentic self in a way that that shares it confidently and unapologetically with others. And I find when we share that balance of confidence and vulnerability, confidence is an unapologetic about who we are, but also willing to share some of our challenges. I believe we build better relationships of trust with people and we can still maintain our strength as leaders. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of see that that's kind of an unfair application for women. Like I kind of, I see exactly what you're saying. And, and I, uh, you know, when, when a man says I'm uncertain, that's him being vulnerable. When, when a woman says it, I, I think there's perception, like you're saying that she's weak and uh, maybe not the right person for the job and, and totally unfair, you know, and I can only, the only thing I could say to this is what I've taught my own daughter, who's uh, you know, kind of marching her way up the ladder, uh, you know, in a pretty big company, a pretty rough kind of environment. And, and I've said, listen, you be nice until nice stops working. And then you tear their eyes out. And, you know, and, and I've really kind of told her, you know, don't, don't be like hard to get along with. Don't be like, you know, somebody that people don't like be very nice and friendly and polite and professional and all those things. But if somebody ever crosses the line, you let them know what's going to happen to them when they cross the line. And, and, you know, and she's had to, you know, kind of bark out some stuff a couple of times. And, uh, and she is enormously well-respected because her boundaries are clear. She's professional. I mean, that's, that's just the main example I can give, you know, but 
Um, it's, it's a tough one. So how do you, how do you advise? I mean, I, 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 how do you advise women? I mean, what, what do you say to women to what, to help them like that? Some women are just strong. They're just, they're strong. And and, and I'll tell you, men love those kind. They, they do, you know, they, they, everybody would say they don't, but they do because those are good competitors. Well, I, and just as I, I don't think we can stereotype women, I don't think we can stereotype men's responses to women either, recognizing that the the differences within a gender can be even greater than the differences between genders. So the, 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 when we look at different personality styles, how people are socialized, where people grew up, the, the differences are vast. And the point that I make when I work with women is not that women need different communication skills than men. The point is that when women make the same mistakes that their male colleagues might make, the, the, the mistakes are amplified because those women are usually one of the few women in the room or one of the few female leaders in the room when we're talking about the executive level. And so anything they do that is perceived as, as, as ineffective will be magnified because they're already different. And so those differences work against them. So, so I'm building the same skills I would build in a program for men or a program for everyone, regardless of gender. It's just the mistakes cost us more when we're different. So does that, does that same logic apply to racial issues, cultural issues, religious issues? I mean, anybody who's different in any way, because men are all different from each other too. So, I mean, is it is the same rules apply across many things? The from what I hear from my colleagues and clients is that, yes, the, the, there are similarities when we are the other in a room, people are paying more attention to that difference. And so, again, it, it comes back to building our own skills and also being willing to to build uh, building our own skills and building our own confidence to be ourselves instead of trying to adapt to somebody else's style. And what we're seeing in the workplace, especially now, this trend towards authentic leadership is that the people, to get to this day and age, a lot of people had to change who they were in their careers in order to be effective because of the way the rules of the game were then. Now, so many people have risen to leadership and now are changing the culture. So a lot of women in, at the executive level today had to act stereotypically masculine in order to get there. But now that they're there, they're saying, I don't want to play this game anymore. I want to be myself, whatever myself is. And I want to create a safe space for my female direct reports and their direct reports and whether it's gender or anything else how do i give them the space to be themselves at their best in the workplace recognizing when they bring their authentic self to the workplace and it's validated and accepted they're much more likely to stay you know i haven't spent a lot of time in large companies you know that have all these different uh, levels and everything but it seems to me like if you're treated badly you know, and then you become the boss. Those people treat the people below them badly because that's how they got treated. I mean, it just, it's just sort of like a perpetuating thing that, that that just happened. And it's a terrible pattern, but I notice it. So do you think we'll ever kind of outgrow this this kind of pattern where people look at women different men? It's like, listen, we're all professional people. Let's just get the job done and work together as a team. Do you, do you think that some of this nuanced stuff will go away or is that, is that just part of our part of us being human beings? 
As humans, we're always paying attention to to what makes us part of a group, who is in that group, who's with us, and who's not part of our in-group. And so that's an, a, a natural element of, of human behavior to think about how do we fit into a group. However, what I will say, Joel, is, is that I already see things changing. The, the people who who got to the top of wherever there are they are are not accepting the status quo. They said I had to play that game to get here. I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm going to change that culture. And we're seeing it from the bottom up as more as as younger professionals enter the workforce and say no. I'm not playing by those old rules either. And if you force me to, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to. So I absolutely see the culture changing in a number of different industries, both from the top down and the bottom up and the outside in when when something in that culture is brought to light. Is it are we going to completely solve this problem? I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done, both at the individual, the leadership and the public level in order to address that. So I think we still have a lot of work to do. Do you think that this is largely a generational thing? Like young people think about these issues quite differently, at least in major metropolitan cities. I can't I don't know about other places, but Young people think about these kinds of issues, human relationship interactions in, in very different ways than than older people, uh, you know, people who are old fogies like I am. You know, I mean, they, they just see the world in a different way. Do you think that because of the generational thing that will just kind of eventually outgrow this and it'll go away or what do you think? I believe every generation looks at issues in a way that's different than than the generation before them. So I think there'll there'll always be that difference in the way that we're looking at at the different issues that face us, whether it's regarding gender or identity. And so I I don't know that well if if I can't say that we're going to fully address this issue and we're not going to grow out of it, um, because I still think that there are going to be multiple challenges that we face as any issue progresses. But I do think that that we do have the benefit of looking at something the way in a fresh perspective once somebody comes in who doesn't say, well, that's the way we've always done it. They'll say, well, why do we have to do it this way? And I think that kind of challenge is incredibly healthy in any kind of organization. From the companies that you work with, um, are, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that if companies don't soften up some of their uh, attitudes, that they really are going to lose the, the best incoming new people because those people really don't have the patience to tolerate a lot of the old game playing that has gone on for a long time. Um, are you see, Are you seeing that? I mean, are you seeing people pick companies based on their cultural fit? I mean, the way that they, the attitudes of the company, I mean, our companies articulating that and kind of making it one of the benefits of working for them. What, what sure. do you notice? I mean, we're, we're certainly seeing people choose a company, not just because of the compensation that they receive, but also the, the way they can express themselves at that company. Do they feel like they can fit in there? Do they feel like they're validated the way they are? And, and now there, there are so many different options that they have that they don't have to conform to a particular culture within one company when there are so many other companies and industries that they can work for, especially if they have a hybrid or virtual 
virtual option where they don't even have to be in the same city as that company as they had to before. So I, I absolutely see it happening today, right now, and I expect to have it to happen in the future that if a company wants to attract and then retain the best and brightest talent, then they have to create an environment where that talent wants to come to work as opposed to forcing them to work because they need a job. Yeah. Do you have any examples of companies that have done a really good job of converting from an old way to a new way? I mean, can you think of that? You know, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but you know, like, like what did they do? How did they do it? I mean, was it off-putting to the older people so that they could be welcoming to the new people? I mean, what kinds of things happened? Well, I'm 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 not thinking about a specific company in general that is that is addressing this. Although I think we're going to start to see a lot of different case studies of companies that are doing this effectively. What I'm seeing across many of my clients that they could be Fortune 500, they could be all different levels of, of, of revenue for their company. We're starting to see them use different language. We're starting to see language of authenticity, of diversity, equity, inclusion. You belong here, that that we, we accept you as you are instead of expecting you to conform to some outdated stereotype of, of how you should be within a company. So I'm, it's the reason I'm having trouble thinking of one particular company is because we're seeing this general trend and, and it's happening across industries, it's happening across geographies and, and at, at different revenue levels of a company. So beside them writing up a series of values and saying these things, how is it that they're, they're actually demonstrating that it's real? How are they living those values? in a way that employees kind of say, you know what, this company is the real deal. I mean, because it's very, that's, very easy to write down a statement right. of values. That's I mean, it's right. very simple. And, and, and I've been a lot of places and, you know, that, that I don't think live their values. I mean, because they just write it down. But mm -hmm. on the inside, it's different than what you think. So how are companies kind of making it real? Well, that's, the, that's really the issue because anyone can have some company help them come up with the right talking points and create a, a beautiful campaign around it. But how are they actually living those values? And, and, it's it, sometimes it's as simple as the the CEO sharing a personal anecdote about a way a time in which they struggled with that and by sharing that vulnerability of how this issue has affected them personally they're now setting the example for the type of tone that they're trying to foster within the company so it's certainly something that can happen at in a in, in a moment but more frequently it has to happen over time with with people coming to see that these values are actually being lived as opposed to just talking about them. Are we actually, if we're talking about helping people to, to bring their full selves to work, are we then implementing a dress code that's that's pushing back against that? Or are we living that by, by letting the dress code be more flexible? So it's in the actual policies and the way in which we, we, we adapt and, and flex that people will see if this is just lip service or real culture change well you see so you're bringing up the, the whole issue of consistency and and you know when, when you're an older company 50 years old a family company a, a large company a fortune 500 company 100 years old whatever you are uh you know you've been doing things for a long time and you're doing hundreds of different things i mean it's really hard to kind of write everything down in the rule book 
And, you know, and it's very, very difficult to uh, get that consistency across many things like like a dress code or like a language code or 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 I don't know, or, or what kind of social activities people uh, do after work. I, you know, I mean, it probably goes on and on. You know, there's all kinds of things. So who's thinking about those things? I mean, who's are there outside companies that come in and look at companies and say, here are 10 things that you need to straighten out to be consistent with your message? I mean, how does that work? Well, it, it has to start at the top, because if, if the executive, the CEO, if the founder, the, the, the head of that company is not thinking about it, then 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 how does everyone else know that it's important? If it's delegated to somebody else on the team and, and the CEO doesn't prioritize it, why should anyone else prioritize it? So it has to start at the top. Certainly, there are firms you can bring in that can help you and, and give you an outside view of how effective are you being in your policies. It's also really important to talk to your team, to create safe spaces where people can talk about issues that are important to them. And, and a lot of times my firm and I will come in and, and teach a communication program where it's not just, I'm brought in to help with presentation skills and leadership communication, but what comes to light is even though these individuals are asked to bring their authentic selves to work, they're not being validated when they do bring their authentic selves to work. So that, that's a that's a separate issue. And so it, it has to be recognized from inside the company. They can't outsource the solution to that problem. They can outsource how they identify the problem or the tools they use to identify it. But the solution has to come from the inside as well. Yeah, it's it's a, listen, it's it's a complicated it's a complicated formula. And I guess the uh the CEO or the, the senior leadership has to say this matters to us. And when you see these kinds of issues, bring them to our attention. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've kind of gotten in the habit of doing as, as a man who's used to talking in a certain way, not, not deliberately, uh, not never derogatory on purpose or anything like that, but I'll, I'll just, my language will kind of be male oriented language. And, and I really have made a really good effort to fix some of those things. Cause I've been counseled on that, just, you know, advised about that. And I'll, I'll sometimes just start and talk to an audience and say, you know, uh, I'm really trying hard to fix this. And if I slip up a time or two, I really apologize in advance, but I'm really trying to be aware of it. And I think sometimes just, I just, in my experience, just kind of saying that you're being aware of it gives you a little more latitude than, than otherwise. That's my experience. Is that a strategy that, that you think is okay? Well, let's let's take that strategy and let's extrapolate it to something else. So if you were to say that consistent accuracy of our numbers is really important and I'm going to give you some numbers right now and we're going to we're going to publicly talk about these numbers. I might be a little off in the numbers and I ask you to bear with me if the numbers are wrong. Well, is that uh, okay? so here, so here's the answer. Um, it, there, there's it's it's called materiality. You know, are are we off materially, or are we off a percentage or two? You know, if if I meant to say a hundred thousand and I said a million, that that's that's bad. If I said uh, you know a hundred and it was ninety eight thousand, then we're in the ballpark. And so you know, it, to answer that's kind of how I think about numbers. The other thing about numbers is that numbers are typically prepared in advance; they're not extemporaneous. So they tend to be uh, more accurate just just by the nature of that. So it's a great example. Right. I, I think that your point is very well taken. Uh, and that does create some perspective for me about materiality that, you know, so. 
you know, I, I, I hear you. I think about it in terms of when we talk about filler words like um and ah and right and you know those words that tend to pepper our language unintentionally and when i work with people to reduce those fillers i will say it's okay if one of two one or two fillers come out because it's not about being perfect it's about being authentic and so it's okay if you have those fillers but if the fillers are make anyone on your team feel bad, then it's up to you to be intentional in your preparation process to work with someone who's going to hold you accountable when you use that language and then to remove it from your language. So I acknowledge the fact that, that we're doing our best, we're working on it. I also acknowledge the fact that if something is really important to us, we work on it in advance. And yes, we'll pro we may make mistakes here or there, but to not cede responsibility for the change as opposed to take ownership of it because it starts at the top. I, I, I think that makes it pretty clear that, uh, you know, you guys is one thing, but uh, you know, there are certain words that really are inflammatory. I, and I try really, really hard never to do those things. But uh, those little slippers once in a while, uh, you know, it, it, it happened. But I think I think that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good thing. Well, you know. Um, this show is all about the inside track. It's always about uh, the best, smartest, and fastest ways to get things done. And when it comes to corporate communication, leadership communication, uh, the kind of thing about uh, you know being out in front, uh, you've brought the inside track to us, and that's what we're always looking for. So, Allison, I really appreciate you sharing and being here with us. And uh, you know, and, and and listen, I appreciate having you as a professional colleague. So, thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you, Joel. Thanks for everything you do. Hey, great. We'll be back in touch. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the Inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.